0: Well, hello, Friday night. I'm glad to see all of you. Yay! Yay! Happy um, Friday to you. Happy Memorial Day weekend. Um, thank you. Uh, if you have um, lost somebody uh, in the service of our country, we're grateful for um, their sacrifice. Um, they are um, a shadow and a kind of, of of Jesus, I do believe. The instinct to uh, lay down your life for uh, someone else is a as a divine instinct, and so thank you for, um, yeah, uh, your family and uh, the gift that you've been to us. Um, uh, I, uh, My name's Brett. I'm one of the pastors here with Friday Night. Um, we are continuing in our series on uh, the identity of God. Go figure, we're talking about God when <laughs> we get together uh, at church, and uh, it's been, we've been trying to dive into kind of the nitty-gritty of what can we say with like confidence about who God is, and in this third leg of the series, we are um, exploring the most uh, probably the most mysterious way that God meets us, the most immediate way that he meets us. Um, we are exploring that God is spirit is what we've been exploring. the Nicene Creed it is actually it's um, some 1800. 1700 years old, it is actually our statement of faith as New Life Church uh, puts it this way, says, we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. With the Father and the Son, he is worshipped and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. Tonight, we want to kind of... In on that last phrase is what we want to talk about. God is spirit, and uh, he 's the same spirit who spoke to the prophets and through the prophets to the world to, to us in some sort of mysterious way we 've still got the the book. Um, so I want to think a, a little bit about what prophecy is. I want to kind of name this what is prophecy what is not prophecy, and uh, kind of explore how prophecy works. Because I think once we get our uh, a little, once we name a few things, and get a, a few things clear in our mind about the spirit of prophecy, uh, we're gonna have a little bit clearer picture on what life is all about. And so uh, our game plan tonight. To get us into all of that is we're going to read a tiny little section from the book of uh, the document that we call the Book of Revelation, Um, and then we're going to think about three different kinds of time machines. (laughs) That's going to actually get us uh, where we need to go tonight, and so um, and then we'll come to the table. Um, So Revelation 19. It's near the end of this document. John, who's recording this, he says, "Then I fell down at the feet at his feet to worship him." This is an angel, <laughs> um, but he said, "You must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony, the witness, the martyria of Jesus. Worship God for the martyria of Jesus." The martyria of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Lord Jesus, uh, I am disheveled and discombobulated and uh, running on fumes, and so we need you to speak. So, a spirit we do. We have gathered together as your church, and we believe that you are not the, a dead God. You are a living God. You are a God who can, and does, and will speak tonight. And so together, as your church, we say, come. Come, Holy Spirit, and speak to us. We need a life word from you. And so speak, Lord. Your children are listening. We pray these things in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Uh, there's a lot of crazy stuff going on in the final book of the Christian Bible. Well, don't worry, we're not going to talk about it at all tonight. So, uh, we, we're not, really. If you're looking for Revelation, you're going to be disappointed. Uh, it, just, just warning. Uh, that some people are like, yes, you mentioned Revelation! Um there have been, up to this point in the book, there have been dragons and demon locusts and a seven-eyed lamb that's like difficult to get glasses for, I would assume. and like The, the sun, God, it would be terrible to be myopic and have seven eyes, wouldn't it? Uh, the sun is, has gone as dark as hairy sackcloth earlier in the book. I always like that part. Uh, John of Patmos, he has cre- crafted this unbelievably complex and sophisticated document And here, as the document begins to wind down, he makes a simple statement. It's a really complex document. And here's a simple statement. He says that the testimony of Jesus, the witness of Jesus, is the spirit of prophecy. The the word right here that I kind of untranslated there is marturia. It is the root from which we get the word martyr, actually. Um, But it's actually, it's just the word witness is what it is. Like uh, in a trial, the jury, um, some of us are caught up in a particular trial. I will not name what trial it is, but some of us in the room are into it. (laughs) Like in a trial, the jury hears The witness, the martyria of the person who takes the stand, there's a witness who has a witness, you know, the testimony of some person, that's the word. He says that the witness of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. It's the exact same kind of sentence, simple sentence, that says, Dr. Pepper is a soda, it is, like the sentence is a definition sentence. Like someone walks into a grocery store and says, "Where's your Dr. Pepper?" <laughs> That'd be a really rude person. Wouldn't it <laughs> walk yeah just had this picture. "Where's your Dr. Pepper?" Like <laughs> Well, it says, "Dr. Pepper is a soda, and so it's on the, the soda aisle. Great! (laughs) Oh, and I was hoping to pick up some prophecy, too, while I was here. Okay, well, prophecy, no problem. Uh, Prophecy uh, happens to be, uh, it happens to be the witness of Jesus. That's the spirit of prophecy, and so what you're looking for is on the um, Jesus aisle, over there. That's the kind of sentence that this is—it's it's, there, there's a lot that is complicated about the Book of Revelation and about the Bible, but this sentence isn't part of it. The most important thing about prophecy—the animating wind within it, the the divine breath speaking through it—the s- most important thing, the spirit of prophecy, is the martyria. Of Jesus, John uses this martyr root nineteen times in the Book of Revelation. I guess we are talking about Revelation a little bit. The way he uses this word lets us know, is actually the reason why we associate the word martyr, which uh, literally means witness. We associate the word martyr with death, is because every witness, every martyr who has a martyria in the book of revelation is somebody so in love with truth that they are willing to die for it this picture we have in revelation somehow some way what we witness when we gaze at matthew mark luke and john when we gaze at jesus especially in his martyrdom in his love willing to die that is actually the true heart of all prophecy is what's being said here which is really weird i just have to say because i grew up in church hearing the way that people talk about prophecy and prophets and you know all the stuff i could have sworn that the definition of prophecy that would be like acceptable would you it would need to address past present and future am i right like i would have sworn that any like capable definition. A prophecy needs to have time somewhere in it, right? So let's talk about time for just a little bit and see if that gets this any clearer, um, how prophecy works, what prophecy is, how life works, what life's all about. And I don't know of a more fun way to talk about time that can get really, you know, can get really conceptual and boring. Um, The most fun way to talk about it is with time machines, right? We all like time machines. Uh, So three different kinds of time machines we'll talk about. The first, of course, must be this kind. Um, Back in, oh, there it is. This must be the first kind of time machine because back in my day, back in my day, they built time machines out of novelty cars. That's what they did. Not hot tubs, not magical necklaces, DeLoreans. (laughs) Deloreans, <laughs> Man, those are some fine movies, <laughs> my goodness, <laughs> one point twenty one gigawatts you. Know. Great Scott! If we start quoting right now, we're just going to keep going. Uh, If you have never seen Back to the Future, the car can go, can move forward and backward in time, and you can really mess things up quickly. There, I just summarized it for you. It's it's also really amusing to watch model cars get set on fire. I love that part. Does anyone else just love that part of the movie when he's got all the things set up? The plot of the second... Back to the Future movie involves Michael J. Fox going to the future and getting the sports almanac. The sports almanac. And suddenly he has in his hand this book full of the final scores of future sports games. Man, who's going to win the Super Bowl next year? Let's look right here. Oh, it's the Patriots again. Gosh, I hate that. This is the kind of thing that gets um, emphasized a lot of times with prophecy—that God gave some sort of foresight, far sight, future sight to, to some people way back there in the past. And they wrote down some information about an already established, already written future. We, we should name what we normally think about with prophecy a lot of times. We tend to think of prophecy as um, reading history of the future or from the future. The history of the future or history from the future. It does happen. Sometimes. Yeah, I think some Christian teachers oversell how much it does happen in the Old Testament. This is me just being your pastor and trying to be honest and not be like, hey, they swindled me. I thought there was more in here. Um, there are a few times that the prophets of Israel, in, that was Kermit the Frog. Did you guys notice that? <laughs> was, if I don't call me out, who's going to? Some of the prophets from the late Iron Age did predict something that was coming in the future there are moments in the documents that we call the the latter prophets the 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 prophet Micah was right the messiah was born in bethlehem he was right (laughs) like you could look it up in an almanac you know The, the prophet jeremiah was right solomon's temple was destroyed jesus was right Jesus was a prophet, by the way, if you didn't know. He predicted the the destruction of Israel's second temple, the rebuilt temple. And uh, he was right. (laughs) It was destroyed. Just a couple of, uh, like, within the generation that he was living in. We don't exactly know how these predictions happened we're not given the, whether it was a dream or a vision or, or a sports almanac, you know, maybe a golden sports almanac comes down from heaven or something, you know, or like that. I don't know if that was a, anyway, I'm going to keep going. Or maybe it was just some sort of inexplicable clarity that they had about how things are going to go. I, I don't know. But prophecy is not, in, in the scriptures, prophecy is not primarily about figuring out the future. We just, when we're talking about the spirit of prophecy, someone who is obsessed with finding out the future, that's not a prophet. That's a fortune teller. That's that's like Nostradamus. That's not even distinctly, that's not a distinctly Christian category even, of like, I'm just looking for the future. What makes it distinctly Christian is that well, the biblical prophets, they do have some insight into the future. Um, they're finding out about that because they're finding out about something else. And they find out about the future with it. They're not predicting. Le- actually, predicting the future is like the least interesting part about prophecy in the Bible. Uh, we could say it this way. Prophecy is more than just like skipping ahead Uh, in history story prophecy involves the meaning of that story is what we're talking about when we talk about prophecy let's get clear and that actually brings us to our second time machine Um, and it's honestly one of our favorite time machines we all do it Uh, it is uh, it's based on the technology that we all we all carry one of these time machines in our uh, pockets actually it's uh, a a video camera We, we The time machine is movies. Something was filmed at a particular time on a particular backlot set with particular costumes and actors were a particular age. And then after it's filmed, it has the gall to just stay the same. (laughs) It's all it does, you know? We, We like watch the past. Through, these, through our screens, like we're gazing at the past, at like something that happened somewhere has all been sliced together. Um, then we watch it 10 years later. Has anyone had this experience? You watch it 10 years later, some movie, and you're like, oh my goodness, these actors are all getting younger. That's so, if you haven't experienced that yet, I promise you, it's coming for you. Um, I bring up movies because movies are a great illustration This time machine that we can participate in is a great illustration of knowing the difference between the plot of a story and knowing the meaning of that story. Um, Imagine your friend. You have a friend. I'm generous tonight. You have one. Um, And this friend of yours is not tech savvy. They have a DVD of their favorite movie. It's their one DVD. They love it. And they watch it every week. They've watched this movie for 20 years. The Sixth Sense is their favorite film. Your friend no I don't know why they sound like the better movies out there, but your friend knows the plot of the Sixth Sense backwards and forwards, knows every beat, knows every scene, knows what comes next. That event leads to this event, and then they're going to end up in this conversation, and they know all the lines. I see dead people, and it's really annoying. Could you just shut up while I watch the movie? But you are a good friend, you're a good friend, and so you're going, you've chosen to watch this movie with them, and you don't really remember much of what happens. You saw it a long time ago when it came out in like 99, and just so you know, spoiler alert is coming, like I think there's a statute of limitations on spoilers, like golly, if you haven't seen it, in the, like get up and walk out if you don't want me to spoil it for you right now. Um, you remember, it's a pretty good movie, it's got a pretty good twist ending, and, but you don't really remember. The scenes or the dialogue or what they say or really what happens next in the movie. All you really remember is like ah, that last five minutes. That last five minutes, I remember that part. Um, I should mention something about your friend. Your friend, uh, their DVD is scratched and they've never seen the last five minutes of this. Your friend knows every beat every scene, every piece of dialogue, how things flow from one to the next. Your friend knows the whole history within this movie, the whole plot, and all you remember is the twist in the last five minutes. Now, as you watch this movie together, which one of you is going to be better prepared to understand the meaning of the movie? You're going to be watching it, and you don't really remember what comes next, but I'm I'm in on the secret. I can understand what this plot is. And then your friend is like, look at this movie. It's so great. And they don't have any. It is possible to know almost everything about a story's plot and to not understand that story's meaning. Does that make sense? We could say it this way uh, as it goes to the story that is human history. The historian wants to know the story's plot. That's what historians are always trying to figure out, going through, digging through the first, the primary sources. Like, what happened back then? A fortune teller is a historian of a different kind. They might be looking trying to read the tea leaves or the entrails or, you know, the whatever, tarot cards, they don't do entrails anymore, do they? That's just in, like, it's just in the movie 300, I think. <laughs> like, I don't even know if that's in the movie. Um, they're, they're trying to discern the plot of the future. But everyone's looking for the plot, the events, the raw, brute facts of what happens. The prophet wants to know the meaning Wants to know that meaning is coming from somewhere. Wants to know the story's author, is what we would say. The one thing that we know, like, it's one thing to know the plot of a story. It's a whole nother thing to know the meaning of a story. And it's a whole nother thing entirely to, like, get to know that's the person that wrote it. My goodness, that's what a prophet is is somebody who knows the author, somebody who is like so in sync with the author that they can speak with clarity about the story that they are living in. They can speak truth or insight or challenge or comfort because they know the heart of the author like, this is actually the assumption that Matthew makes in his earliest uh, telling of the gospel, the very first book of the New Testament. He, uh, the, the prophet tells us something about the author, and I just want to address this because if you've ever tried reading the New Testament through, you've probably read this and you've probably scratched your head, made you, maybe made you think. So let's just name it uh, Matthew when he, uh, he says at the beginning of his gospel, he quotes from a prophet, and he says, he rose, this is Joseph, he rose and he took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. This is where I'm afraid some teachers have like overplayed their hand. With like saying how much of the prophets is actually predicting stuff, because the really tricky part about this, if we're just reading the Bible here, is like in the scroll of Isaiah, oh, of Hosea, where this is found, Hosea is not talking about the future when he says this. Actually, in context, you can go ahead and put it up there. In context, Hosea actually talking about the past. Like Hosea is in the year what, like seven eight hundred. And he's looking back in time from there. He's like, when Israel was a child, this is God talking through the prophet. When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. Like with Moses. (laughs) Those, those, Those sorts of things. The more they were called, the more they went away. They kept sacrificing to the Baals and burning offerings to idols I just want to make the, make the note right here that uh, Hosea isn't looking forward. Hosea's looking backward. Hosea isn't predicting the future. Hosea is actually describing the past right here. But for Hosea and Matthew, it is not a question about time. It's not a question about past or future. The question is about the author It's what is God like is what's driving both of them. And so Matthew has been so dazzled by the events that he has seen play out in front of him. In Jesus, this man was dead and he's alive. This man is God. My goodness, this man is ascending. Now I'm energized by it feels like the, the power, the presence of this man is somehow within me and knows me. Like Matthew is trying to help his readers to rewatch a movie that they have all seen a hundred, two hundred, a 1,000 times these events that everybody knows. And he's saying, okay, now watch this. Watch this. Okay, watch this part. Now see that part? Like this part in Hosea where God calls his son, the children of Israel with Moses. He calls them out of Egypt. Watch this. Watch this. Okay, do you see it? Do you see it? The, oh, the, the child Jesus is being whisked away into Egypt and now, watch this, watch this. Okay, now he's coming out of Egypt. You don't get it? Well, No matter how you slice this story, God's invading Egypt. God's invading the land of darkness. God is coming to rescue us from chains. That's what God is like. God did it that way back then, calling Israel out with Moses. But get this, get this. God is always doing this. God is always retracing our steps like a bloodhound, following us into Egypt to rescue us. How do we know the witness of Jesus? The martyria of Jesus. You look at Jesus. That's what the author is like. He's always been doing this kind of thing. This is the kind of story he always tells. Even if it means going into Egypt himself, writing himself into the story and doing it. Suddenly the story of Jesus is something like so big that it kind of like swallows up time even. It's like Hosea said out of Egypt I called my son. Well, that's about the past, bro. No, it's about what God is always like. It's not about the story back then. It is about the author of the story and the story that he is writing in all of our lives right now. This is the kind of story he tells. (laughs) This is the kind of thing he does. And that brings us to our third time machine. It's a time machine that I actually, none of you have it in your pocket. Um, I actually have it with me up here. It is cool. You can come see it after service, no joke, if you want to. Uh, It's probably the oldest thing in the room. I was in Georgia this past weekend for my grandmother's funeral, and we found this in an old uh, suitcase, is what we found. Uh, It is written on obviously old parchment in like a cursive chicken scratch, Um, we think it's like a deed or a contract or something. Uh, You can't read like most of the writing. Come up and have your best crack at it. Like, no joke, I'd really love if you could. Um, But what I can read, though, I can make it out like right here, is in the year of our, this this year of our Lord, 1,008 and 46. Between William... L. Smith, maybe. Talk about a time machine. This document that I have in my hand, you can come touch. (laughs) Like, it has traveled 176 years into the future from the year 1846. Like, that's crazy. (laughs) That's crazy. Like, it was originally... Written by someone to show to someone to prove something. Thank you. That's what we can say about this document. But everyone who was invested in this document is gone. The person who wrote it, the person who showed it, the person who saw it, like they're all gone. And now, like, I've got it. I found it in a suitcase, and it doesn't really mean that much to me. Like it's like it doesn't. Uh, it's it's just some writing from the past, and it is cool. I mean, you can come you can come see it if you want. Uh, that's getting it's getting weird now, Brett. <laughs> I'll come see it. Now this old document exists in a world of satellites and smartphones and space stations, but it's essentially just like a relic. It's just old and it doesn't mean much to anybody. What would be way cooler would be the story that like, if I could tell you somehow that this was this old and the person whose curvy chicken scratch this is etched out all over here is actually with us in the back, come on down, that would be really cool. And you'd be like, Guinness Records, come check this guy out before he falls over. (laughs) Like, we would be looking for the DeLorean at that point, you know, or a a hot tub or something. You know, the most interesting thing about prophecy is not the time aspect of it. The most interesting thing is that the story has an author that is still alive. That's the really interesting thing about prophecy is that the one who spoke through the prophets continues. He, he continues. He has not passed away. He has not faded. He, the one who spoke is still speaking. Though He's still living. He's still doing. The same eternal love who animated the prophets is still chasing us into Egypt and calling us out the Author lives. That is the character of the person who wrote it, is the most interesting part of prophecy. And I want to, there's a lot we could say about like practically, maybe we can do this at some point, talking about practically what prophecy looks like. And we do need to be, I think, speaking prophetically into our culture. I think especially maybe now at this moment the world needs lots of Jesus people who can discern what the kingdom of Jesus looks like and if it's going to look a certain way in the future then maybe we could put practices into place right now that will help build for that that future and we can uh and we can and bring comfort to those and 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 security and blessing and shalom to those in the present. Yes, there's lots of that, but I want to tell you and wrap up with this that the most prophetic thing that you can say to anybody in our culture in your house at work at school the most prophetic thing that anyone of us can say to anyone else is that Jesus loves them and and like Jesus claims you that is the witness of Jesus like, it doesn't feel particularly magical, but I kid you not, 1 Corinthians 12 says that nobody can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Say it with me Jesus is Lord. It didn't feel very sexy right there, but that was the Holy Spirit actually. And I'm, be, and I'm not trying to play a gotcha game. He's quietly working in all of our lives and drawing us into more love and more life. And the most prophetic thing that any of us can do is to share what we have With someone else in a thousand different ways. The early church understood this like profoundly. Matthew opens his gospel by telling us that this is the story of Emmanuel, God with us. And it's tricky to tell where Israel's story ends and where Jesus' story begins. Out of Egypt I called my son, says the prophet's. And that's the story of an enslaved Exodus people. And it's the story of God made a human. I need to tell you the witness of Jesus that God is infinitely interested in your life. Your wounds, your scars, your trauma. Somehow God has experienced all of that too. You are not alone. You never have been. Your mistakes, your missteps, your shame. God claims all of that, too, because He claims you. He claims you, He embraces you. God even embraces the worst of us, is what we should say, our, our sin our hatred, our evil. God embraces even that part of us and receives the wages of our sin in his own self. God embraces us and our sin kills him, is the story. Whatever Egypt is in your life, be it fear, or an addiction, or loneliness, or despair. The witness of Jesus, the spirit of the prophets. If we, it doesn't feel sexy to say it right now. Like, I don't feel magical saying it, but apparently the witness of the prophets says that this is prophecy happening right now. You are loved. Receive it. You will believe it. You are loved so much that God has chased you into the land of slavery and death. Jesus declares his story as yours. The Son of God finds you in Egypt, and out of Egypt he calls his son. Wait! Is that about God's people or is it about Jesus? Yes, it's about both. That's the witness of Jesus. God himself has become one of God's people. And as Jesus goes, so go we all. Like if Jesus experienced suffering and death in his life, we can expect the same. If Jesus experienced resurrection and vindication and joy eternal We will too. If Jesus is beloved by his father, we are too. This evening, hear the word of the Lord. Jesus asks you to believe him, to take him at his word when he says, my story is yours. He loves you he chooses you he's sharing his life with you when we speak prophecy into each other's lives uh, this is the essence of what we're trying to remind each other of like we're not trying to predict the future for each other or you shouldn't be if, if you're doing that don't do that <laughs> that's not what we're trying to do at bottom Is to stare at the witness of Jesus to learn who the author of the story is. What kind of story do we live in? So that we can look in each other's eyes and say, hey, don't give up. Jesus' story is your story. Hey, you can keep going. You are not alone. Hey. You're protected, even though it feels like darkness over the noonday. You can rest. You can trust. The Father adores you. Brother, Jesus has paved a trail. The Spirit is energizing us. You can keep going. I promise you, you can keep going promise you you can keep going the story has a a happy ending as Jesus goes so go you that's the witness of Jesus it's the spirit of prophecy and so Jesus we're grateful that you um, you love us and that you have not left us alone. You've put us into this room at this moment, and you surround us with family, with friends. We ask that you would give us the courage to be vulnerable and open up and receive love. I ask for my friends right now who feel like... um, that they have no idea anything about spirituality or God or Jesus or anything like this. It just feels hokey. It feels um, like misdirected energy. I ask that you would speak to them in exactly the way they need to be spoken to this evening. We ask that you would do that for all of us. That you would come and nourish us, and encourage us, feed us. I'm invite you to stand. You can go ahead and prepare your communion elements. If you do not have communion elements, um, we have a couple of servers. If you could uh, raise your hand, I'll turn to you. Make your way into an aisle, maybe that could help them get to you quickly as well. This is the climax of Christian worship that we regularly come to again and again like the tables that we really eat from. The church has long recognized that God really is meeting us in this moment. God really does meet us in what feels a little unsexy, a little hokey, a little like, oh, the spirit can't be involved in that. Maybe with your elements, you could open your hands this evening and just, I'm gonna give you a moment, maybe just invite the spirit to awaken the parts of you that are asleep in this moment. We remember that on the night our Lord Jesus was handed over to suffering and death, he took bread, and having given thanks, he broke that bread. You can break the wafer, and he shared it with his disciples, with those who had learned from him, with those who were following after him, with us. Jesus is here, somehow, and he's giving us what we need. He says take eat this is my body and it's for you i'm giving i don't have anything else to give this is me and i'm giving me to you do this as often as you eat it in remembrance of me And so, jesus we remember not just the past and we don't just anticipate the future we look at this moment right here and we say thank you that you are are the God of humble, selfless love who's always pursuing us, mending us, wooing us. And we say, get that life into us. We need it. We want it. We can't supply it for ourselves. Thank you that you give it. You may receive the bread. Likewise, when supper was over, he took the cup. And having, having poured it, he shared it with his disciples, with you. He loves you. and He shares it with you. And he says, drink this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. As often as you drink it, remember me. So, Jesus, we remember that you are a God who would rather bleed than be without us. We ask that you would fill us with that same kind of love for one another. By the power of your spirit, you may receive the cup. So Jesus, we love you. We sing praise to your name. Thank you for meeting us at the table. Jesus.
1: Come, all you weary. Come, all you broken. Rest in the Lord. Come be restored at the table. Bring all your sorrows, cast down your burdens, trade them for joy, and lift up your voice at the table. Let's begin. I believe in the Holy Spirit, our God is three.
0: My friends, we're glad that you've been here tonight. If you want to learn more about us as a staff, us as a congregation, us as a a family of congregations, come meet us in the back at Guest Central. We would love to to meet you, hear your story. May you go this evening, knowing that you are chosen by the Father. It's not someone else. The witness of Jesus says that you, you are loved. May that get into your bones. May it bleed from your bones into the world around you, into our city, into our state, and into our world. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his smiling countenance towards you in a way that you can see it and perceive it. And may it grant you peace. Go in peace, brothers and sisters. We'll see you next week.